By the way, I'll tell you, um, Jenny asked what she was singing, and she said it's kind of a song about those who are suffering for their faith. And um, there's a book called The Insanity of God. She's reading it right now, and I highly encourage you to get your hands on it and to read it. It's a very eye-opening story. It's a, it's a good read, pretty thick. Um, I'm not a reader. It took me about a week. Um, I, was spending, you know, I was up at Moody and had some time. But uh, it really gives a clear picture of what's it like out there. And like I said this morning, God is doing tremendous things in the world. Uh, it's just the resistance of the Western culture that, um, that is really is pushing back from God is where we don't see some of the things that are happening over in the Pacific Realm, in the old Soviet bloc, and places um, like that. So, The Insanity of God. It's written by a guy, um, Nick Rankin, or something like that. But it's, but it's what, do you, what do you call it? He's a false name? A pseudonym. Pseudonym? Yeah, it's not his real name because things are still happening. And he don't want to endanger anyone that he interviews. He goes all over the world talking to persecuted Christians. What's it like to live when your faith is persecuted? And I don't think we'll see that in America. Not to the degree he's going to talk about. Um, but already, I think David said it, we're already living in a hostile environment um, toward God. You know, as we said the Pledge of Allegiance this morning, where it says, One nation under God, I think that has moved from being a fact to a prayer. And we need to pray, God... Make us once again a nation under God. Amen. Would you agree with that? Really would. That, by the way, was put in in the 1950s, that golden time I spoke about this morning, where, where America was largely on board with the Judeo-Christian values uh, that the Bible teaches. It was added during that time. All right, so tonight we want to kind of finish up what we talked about. If you remember this morning, the first point, we talked about be careful who you listen to, and we talked about our worldview. It's hugely important. What is your worldview going to be? And it has to come from Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God. Is God's Word is profitable for us for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training us um, that we might be complete and ready to be the man and women of God that He wants us to be. And then we learn something very important from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. We learn that, that he, with walks, he who walks with wise himself becomes wise, but the companion of, of fools suffers great harm. Now that's just one of those verses you need to write down. And you need to share that with your children as they get a little bit older, um, as they begin understanding why it's important who we hang with. That's a very good, a good verse to have. And for us also, that who we hang with and who we listen to is going to help mold and shape our worldview, which needs to come from the Bible. And then we talk about that really hard scripture that follows that. It's three blocks of scripture that Jesus gives us, three good observations, about not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. Uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. And he goes on and says, these people say, but Lord, did we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And then Jesus says, well, listen, I, I don't know you. Depart from me. I, I never knew you. And it's important that we have that spiritual heritage, that anchor that we know about. And then what I really didn't realize, where we want to go tonight is, is another nugget. And it's where Jesus talks about the wise builder and the foolish builder. Remember that scripture? Uh, we, we, we learned it in Bible school. We sang about it, you know, uh, and as a child. We know the scripture so well. But, but here's something I didn't really realize. And it's kind of one of those dumb moments. And that is, it ties in. These three scriptures are not three separate scriptures. They go together. And where Jesus said, you know, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom, it directly ties into, because he says... Therefore, therefore. So he is talking about, he's talking about people who have a good, healthy dose of religion, who, does, who do religious type stuff, but do not have a relationship with him. And that's part of the wise and foolish person that he talks about. 
So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to talk about the importance of the dasher when you make homemade ice cream. That's a nice sermon. No, not really. It is, though. It is. You know, here's the deal. Now, you had to really appreciate Roy Smith Allen to, to appreciate this story. Roy Smith Allen wrote the book on how to be a Georgia redneck. I mean, he was redneck through and through. And uh, he took a real shine to me, a real liking to me when I started dating Judy. I'm really not sure why, uh, but he did. And so we were buddies, and, you know, you know, we would go eat breakfast together and then go work me for 12 hours. I thought I was going to die. You know, that, that kind of relationship. Well, one night, we decided we'd have him over for supper. And, for, and notice I said him. You didn't bring Edith and Roy together. That, this didn't work. You brought Roy over, then you brought Edith over because they just didn't, it didn't work. So anyway, so we're sitting there, and I said, well, let's go make the ice cream. So we get out there on the little patio we had, you know, and, and I got it all set up, you know, and, and one of them hand crank jobs. Remember those? Had a little handle? Remember those things? Yeah, you crank it. So I'm just cranking away. We're talking, chatting, you know, and I'm cranking. That thing's just spinning away. I reckon I cranked probably for 30 minutes. And it occurred to me, it wasn't getting any harder. And so I said, Roy, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm spinning away, but it ain't getting very hard. This thing ought to be happening by now. And he goes, well, boy, did you put the dasher in? I said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, when you get to heaven, look up Roy Smith Allen under Redneck Department. And, uh, and you'll find there and ask him about the dasher because we opened that puppy up and there was no dasher. And the amazing thing, there's about that much ice cream frozen on the edges, but the dasher wasn't there to scrape it off. I'd have churned forever and never had ice cream. Put that dasher in there, and I bet five minutes we had ice cream. It's amazing what a difference a dasher will make. Now, y'all think that's not important, but Fourth of July is coming up. And, and if you forget the dasher, you ain't going to have ice cream on Fourth of July. All right? Now, you may say, well, what is the spiritual application of that? A lot. Because you see, we've been taught in the Western culture of the last 20, 30, or 40 years, this is big. And I've shared this with you before. Nothing I'm going to share tonight. It's probably new. In fact, there's nothing new under the sun. But here's the deal. We have been taught and we have embraced the fact, the supposed fact, that just showing up for church gets us credit. That just showing up in church is good enough. We don't... You know, it's kind of like going to class. You go to just showing up for class is good enough. Well, if you don't take the test and you don't pass the test, are you going to pass the class? Even though you show up every day? No, no. And it's great, listen, it's great you come to church. It's great that you bring your family to church. But what in the world are you going to do with the information that you receive? What are you going to do with the teachings? That you get. When was the last time you walked out of a sermon, whether it be Brent, me, David, Randy Davis, Billy Graham, I don't care who. When's the last time you walked out and you had a life nugget that you said, I'm going to put that into practice in my life. It was a game changer for you. And if you have a hard time remembering the last time that happened, I just want to tell you, it may be the teacher, but maybe the fact that you've embraced the concept that just showing up for church is enough. And it's not. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and this, by the way, is a great message for you all to hear. Because I'm not sure that a lot of the same morning crowd could grasp this. But I know a lot of you guys are mature believers. This is a good one for you to get. Okay? And I want to take you not deeper, but further than we normally would go in this thought process. Okay? So here's what Jesus says. In Matthew 7, 24. 
He says, therefore, now there's always connector. And there it is. It's connector. So there's two great truths going on here. Okay? Now, now let me pause. If I seem a little rambled, that's okay. All right? Now, y'all do understand the concept of saving grace. You understand? It's for by grace you have been saved through faith and that and all yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a works lest any man should boast. You understand saving grace. But do you understand living grace? You understand that there's, there's salvation grace, but there's a grace that God uses in our lives that helps us to walk day by day in Him. If, if, if you're more comfortable, we can use the good Baptist term sanctification. If you're more comfortable with that. But there's a grace that we get, a long life that God uses to grow us to become more like Jesus. And then, you don't need it now, so you probably don't have it now, but there's dying grace. There's going to come a time when you're on your deathbed and God's grace is going to be sufficient to escort you over into uh, His glorious kingdom and into His presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I honestly believe we would be directly in context to take Matthew 7, 24 through 29 and apply both. I really want, even though you're the Sunday night crowd, I want to challenge you to read this with the thought in mind, what is the birthmark of a truly born-again believer of Jesus Christ? Um, my friend, um, I think I can say his name without embarrassment, Mickey, uh, was talking to me about a guy he knows. And he was struggling in life. And I said these words. I said, so, is the guy a, a, is the guy a uh, I don't know if I used the word believer or Christian. And, and he said, well, not practicing. And I said, is there such a thing? Is there such a thing as a non-practicing Christian? Is there such a thing as a... Now, I understand there's a non-practicing Catholic. I got that. I even understand there's a non-practicing Baptist. I know a lot of them. But is there a non-practicing believer, follower, and if you want to throw the word Christian in there, is there such a thing? Is that, is that a unicorn? Is it an animal that really doesn't exist? Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine... Now, remember now we're closing the Sermon on the Mount. So, so we're covering everything Jesus has talked about, including not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Do you see there? Do you see it? If we just said, if he just said, whoever hears these sayings of mine, I will like him to a wise man. That's just going to church, Tip. That's showing up for church. Okay? That's what he would mean. He means as long as you hear the sermon. As long as you're there and Jesus is teaching and you're getting the teaching, as long as you're showing up for the sermon and you're listening to the sermon, then that would apply. But He doesn't say that. He says, the strength is whoever hears these saying of mine and does them. So there's that application okay, of the teachings of Jesus. Now, once again, this may be a reiteration of a bit of this morning's message, but I'm talking to you guys. Because I think you guys probably have... Whatever your top five big list of sin is, you've got those mastered. And the danger of that is that you'd be, it'd be awfully easy to say, I've got life pretty well down. I've got the Jesus, I, I've got the Jesus following thing down pretty good. And I tried to say it this morning, I just think I did a really poor job. Is what about the nine zillion other areas of being a Christ follower that maybe we don't have down? I mean, like loving the honorary neighbor next door. Or just being kind to someone. Or, or forgiving when a person doesn't deserve forgiveness. Or, or showing love when, when a person's love. Or showing hope to someone in a hopeless situation. That's why I encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you to go deeper in the Gospels. 
to go to Paul is great. It's the inspired word of God. But sometimes I think we spend so much time with Paul, we forget there's a guy named Jesus. Study the life of Jesus and see how he acted and how he responded. And what you're going to find out is you're going to find a whole lot less religion and a whole lot more relationship and sharing with people. Can I have an amen on that? I mean, how many times did Jesus talk about that? When the woman was taking adultery. You know, hey, what should we do? Should we stone her? And he said, well, okay, you, you without sin, chuck the first rock. You know, and, and then he heard rocks falling from hands. And, and he looks at her and says, you know, woman, where are your accusers? And well, I don't see anybody, Jesus. And, and he goes, well, the one person who could condemn her, by the way, the sinless one. Okay, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. How many times have we said that to people? How many times have people offended us? And they would have the right, they think, to condemn us. Did we say, yeah, go and sin no more? I don't condemn you. I, I choose to forgive you. I choose to love you. Those are the things I'm talking about. That's the Sunday night crowd. That's where I want to take you deeper. I, I want to challenge you to get in the Word of God and go beyond thou shalt not commit adultery, drink, do drugs, smoke, drink, and don't play cards either. Oh, oh dancing. I, I want to take you somewhere beyond that. To go deep with Jesus Christ and really dealing with the issues of life and people. Because I promise you this, the heart of God is loving people for the purpose of bringing them into the kingdom. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I promise you that is the heart of God. I would challenge you to go deeper into what Jesus believed concerning people and live that out. Now, that's the doing part. These are the. T- I mean, go back. Go. I already decided we did it this year lightly. We need to go back. I'm sorry, last year. We need to go back next year if, if the Lord leaves me here that long. And we're going to have to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's the teachings. When you hear these sayings of mine, you know, how to do life and how to do marriage and how to do people, and you do these, I'm going to liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rock is the, it symbolically is the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was found on the rock. Now, here's what I want you to get. One side of this, he's talking about judgment. There's no doubt. The commentary confirmed it. I'm not this smart. The commentary confirmed it. He is talking about the one who said, Lord, Lord, have we not done this, and we did that? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. So, if you, first off, he's saying this. If you are a follower of Christ, when there comes a time of judgment, you won't have to fear your house will stand firm. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When you, know, when you personally know Jesus Christ, when God has peeled back the religion and all that you think is good and you're exposed before holy God and you realize you need to repent and you're a wretched sinner and you do repent and you turn to Christ and God's grace is applied, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. Nor hell, by the way. Nor hell. And, and again, the big birthmark of that, now don't, don't you confuse what I'm saying. The birthmark of that is, he who hears and does. Is there such an animal as a non-practicing Christian? Is there, is there an animal that says, I, I follow Jesus Christ, but I live like whoever or whatever? So he says, the wise man builds his house on this. He builds on this rock. And then when the storm comes, the storm of God's judgment, it stands firm. But it doesn't stop there, Gary. This is what's so cool. When we... Now, you, now I don't preach in the choir. 
I've been doing this long enough to know this much. When Dwayne Taylor chooses to follow this book, storms come. That never changes. Storm comes. But when I choose to view life through the world lens of God's Word, and I trust God's Word and obey God's Word, He gives me a strength to see through those storms. In other words, when, when Dwayne chooses to obey the Word of God, then my bottom line is God, and when the storm comes, I may get blown around, but the bottom line, I come out of the storm and go, He's still my God. Don't understand Him? I don't even like it sometimes. But God is still my God. Amen? So, so there's a benefit, there's an eternal benefit. You know, again, you don't, you don't do to earn salvation. But a birthmark of a true born-again believer is the fact that he does the will of his Father. Okay, he does. Okay? So we got this nugget knowing that one day when I face God, God's grace is applied, I'm cleansed by the blood, and yes, I can face God as Father and not as Judge. But I got this added benefit that when I go through this imperfect life, filled with imperfect people, with imperfect circumstances, that I've got a guidebook that I can trust and believe in, and a God of that guy's book that I believe and trust in, and I can go through the storms. Because you will have storms. Now, now, Jenny, we've not had storms like you're going to read about. We don't have storms like the Somalian believers you've already read about, that the ones that were killed. We don't have those storms. But we've got storms. And I honestly believe this. Listen, listen to your old pastor. It's going to get worse. More and more and more, our society, unless God does a miracle, will become more and more hostile toward Christianity. And we've got to be prepared for it. We've got to be prepared. Now, he goes on and says this, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine... Okay, so they, in a broad statement, he says, Now, if you show up for church and you hear the sermons, okay? He says, you show up and you hear them, but then you choose not to do them. In other words, there's no, the Word doesn't impact you. It doesn't change you, either by choice or, or some other reason. There's no, there's no benefit there. He'll be like a foolish man, and he built his house on the sand. And guess what? The rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Leading into that judgment. So here we go. So now we've got a guy over here who goes to church every single week, like I did for 21 years. Three times a week I was in church. Okay? So we've got this guy... But the Word and Jesus had never penetrated my heart. Okay? I heard, but I didn't do. I didn't apply salvation-wise. I didn't accept God's grace because I was determined I could show God how good I was. And lo and behold, if I'd have died in that state, I'd have stood before God, a very religious, moral sinner condemned to hell. Your morality can gain you no favor with God. Your giving, your generosity cannot, but God's grace can. Can. So, so if I'd have died without Jesus Christ, even though I was moral and religious, I'd have split hell wide open. Even, and I'm sure the preacher would have stood up and said, Dwayne, boy, he was a good boy. Dwayne was the kind of guy that you'd want your daughter to date. But it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It matters what God says. And then on the flip side, this other side. Let's say you come to church, you're a born-again believer, and you come to church, but you don't apply it. You hear the sermons, 
but you don't apply it. When the storms come, what's going to happen? Catastrophe. Catastrophe. You know, when storms come, on the flip side of this, when you build your house on the sand, you come to church and come to church and come to church, but for whatever reason, whether you're academically lazy or you just choose not to, you never apply the Word of God, those storms will come and you're going to collapse. You know, your husband's going to go crazy. Your wife's going to go crazy. Your kids are going to go crazy. You're going to get the pink slip. And, and, and you're clinging to faith in God. Because again, in this particular instance I'm talking about, you're born again, but you've chosen over and over and over and over again not to apply the Word of God. Your, your world lens is something besides the Bible. And disaster comes. In fact, he says, and great is the fall of it. So be warned. I appreciate what Tim said. Tim said something saying right back to that aisle. You know what he said? He's talking about wanting to teach his class. And he said, we don't need milk. And brothers and sisters, we don't need milk. We don't need, we don't need a bunch of feel-good sermons that's going to make us say, oh, I feel so good about myself. And nor should you come to church and let the preacher beat up on you. But I'm telling you, every time a preacher of the gospel stands before you as a believer in Jesus Christ, get your knife and get your fork and get your napkin and get ready to be fed the Word of God and ingest that Word of God. And again, the danger is the longer we stay in church, the more we want to just sit there and take it in. Apply it. Apply it. It would be such a game changer for you, for your family, for your community, for our county, for our state, and for our nation if we simply ingest it and apply it. And if we don't, it's not that storms aren't going to come. They're going to come, Gary. But we won't be prepared for those storms. And we'll find ourselves doubting God. Where's God? Mad at God. This God. That God. And then we won't forgive. And we won't be loving. And we'll move filled with hope. And it's just disastrous. Now it's incredible, these last two verses I added to the sermon sheet. Verse 28. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings. And Terry Guest was here tonight. I tell him, it was a long sermon that day. <laughs> it was. I'm sure, I'm sure Peter was probably going, Jesus, this is not the way to start off. You need to give them 15 minutes, okay? It's a long sermon, all right? But anyway, so it was that when Jesus had any of these things, that the people were what? Astonished. May I, may I make a statement? You, if you become choose to be a student of the Word of God, you are going to be astonished at the Word of God. Can I have an Amen. Anyone ever been there before? Have you studied the Word of God and something just that you read five times just leaps off the page at you? It's a life-changing moment. Just like the people were astonished, you'll be astonished um, at His teachings, at the teachings of the Word of God. Because He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes taught this, keep the rules. I'm sorry they did. Keep the rules, keep the rules. There are 623 rules they wrote. I mean, you know, wash your hands. Don't let the water drip here. Do this. And that was it. That, that was what they did. But Jesus comes along and says, now you've heard it said, you know, you shouldn't murder. But I'm telling you, if you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. And you, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But do you understand? If you look at everyone lust after her, you already committed adultery. I mean, over and over again, he said, it's written, but this is it. And it astonished the people. I think because of the authenticity and the power of his teachings. So I want to challenge you tonight. As, as the Sunday night crowd, as mature uh, followers of Christ, go deeper with him. I'm not talking about knowing 
this Greek word and that Greek word. If you do that, God bless you. That's incredible. But I'm talking about reading and meditating and digesting the Word of God. And let me tell you something. If you're not doing it every day, you need to. You do. You do. I don't care if you have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning or go to bed at midnight. As a Christ follower, if you want the Jesus dust on you, you've got to spend time daily in the Word of God. And you've got to spend time in prayer with Jesus Christ. Okay? Just challenge you to do that. It is a game changer for your life. All right? Now, we cannot... That was Jesus' perspective. And I promise you I won't linger long. But I want you to just take a look at James. I know we taught this, what, about three months ago, four months ago. So I won't spend long. But take your Bibles and look at James chapter 1. Now, again, what I just read gives us a great perspective of Jesus. And remember, James grew up with Jesus. Okay? He watched his older brother grow up. And so I, I think that's probably why the tie-in to the Scripture is so powerful when James says this. James 1.21 says this. And again, we spent some time on this not too long ago. James says, Therefore, lay aside... Now watch this. All filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now what is James saying? What your pastor said this morning. If God's Word says do it, you do it. And if God's Word says don't, you don't. Again, not, not to be, not to earn righteousness with God, not to get a right standing with God, but because you're a Christ follower. Okay? And he says, you should, you should be holy. You should do what the Bible says. Not to earn favor, but because you're a Christ follower. So he says, lay aside all filthiness and this overflow of wickedness and receive, I love this, receive with humility, with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, get, get the imagery of that. Have you all seen a tree and they, and they put a branch in it? Gary, have you seen that? And they graft a branch into it? He is saying that we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, he's not talking about this is not saving grace. This is that living grace. It's able to save your soul in a sense of sanctification. You know, we were saved, we're being saved, we're going to be saved. This sanctification process of walking and being more like Christ is able to save your soul because it's ingrained into your life. How much of the words ingrained in your life? How, how much? How, do you ever, can you, I tell this on Wednesday night. Have you ever looked at the clock and saw Romans 8.28 and rise? All things work together for good. Have you seen the clock and gone John 3.16 for God so loved the world? And there's more. I mean, how much is it? You've got to get the Word implanted in you. Because when you're driving down the highway and that sucker pulls out in front of you and you want to go, you might remember Peter saying, be angry and sin not. It might keep you from having an embarrassing moment. Especially when you pull up next to the car and you realize it's the deacon's wife where you go to church. <laughs> you know, just in case. Just in case. Alright? So let the Word get engrafted. Because again, you know, when I eat food, did you know it becomes a part of me? Yeah, I mean, it becomes part... It becomes part of me. <laughs> Matter of fact, Jeremy... There's an apple turnover right here that became part of me today. And after church, the pecan pie is going to be a part of me right over here. All right? As I eat food, it becomes a part of my body that cannot be separated. And, and uh, James is saying, man, receive your humility, that engrafted word, which is able to sanctify you, to help you as you journey through life. Now he goes this, be doers of the word. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, 
Man, wow, this is powerful. We've been taught, go to church. Go to, you know, the number one thing is go to church. No, the number one thing is go to church and apply what you hear. See, he says, don't, don't be doing the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself if you think just coming to church and going through two hours of time is going to change your life. It may, may keep you out of a little trouble, I don't know. It'll appease your wife. But if we really want to be changed, we got to be doers of the word. Doers of the word. Now, look what he says, verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, so if you hear, if you go to church but you don't apply, you're like a guy who observes his face in the mirror. He gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and he observes himself. But he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So, so if we come to church and we just sit through the sermon, by the time we get home and finish our chicken, we've forgotten the truth that Jesus Christ has shared with us in church through his Holy Spirit. We've forgotten that. I'm talking about an intentional worship experience with the Word. Now, I cannot stand up and tell you to take notes because I'm a guy and I don't do that. But I've got a wife who does. Okay? But, but that's a, if, if, if that will help you remember, you should be a note taker. In the morning, you should journal. I, I'll be honest. I cannot tell you I do that. I don't. I read repeatedly in different translations and ingrain it that way, but I'm not, I'm not a journaler. Okay? But we've got to find a way to engraft and ingrain that in us. So it sticks. If not, then we come like a guy who looks and go, dude, I need to get some teeth whitener. You know? And walks away and forgets he's got yellow teeth. Until next time he looks in the mirror. That's what happens if we're not doers and we're hearers only. He looks into, but he who looks into the perfect law of what? Liberty. Liberty. And continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed and what he does. See, the, the book, one of the greatest, mis- and probably thankful to we preachers, this book is seen as bondage. This book is freedom, folks. You know, I don't know how you feel about alcohol, but the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. And uh, I'll tell you this, this good moral guy and then now a, a believer in Jesus Christ, I've never had to wake up from a hangover. Not one time in my life. I've never known the torture of trying to quit smoking. My mom and dad made sure of that because they were heavy smokers and I hated it. But I never had to worry about getting up smoking. Now, I have wrestled with food. We talked about that. But see, as we follow the Word of God, it saves us some, so much bondage. I don't have to worry about Judy picking up my phone and seeing a text that shouldn't be there. I'm going to tell you this. Now, Again, so far, I don't have to worry about my wife seeing me driving around town with another woman in the car because there ain't another woman allowed in my car. Now, if she was having a heart attack and had to get to the hospital, maybe. But somebody, in fact, I had somebody call me and say, Brother Dwayne, I need a ride to the doctor. Can you take me? I said, I'm sorry, I can't. Women need to drive women and men need to drive men. Sorry. There's freedom in that. Come on, y'all. Don't, don't look at me like a calf in a new gate. Come on now. There's freedom in that. And James says, when we hear and do the Word of God, this liberty comes. And He's blessed in what He does. How many of y'all want to be blessed? Be doers of the Word of God. Be doers of the Word. That is a blessed life. Now, two snippets of Scripture we're going to call tonight. I love these. Because, see, i got Jesus, okay, and then i got James, and then i got from Psalm 119, and I did it, some people think Ezra wrote it, some people think David wrote it, 
We're really not sure who wrote it, but listen to the Scripture. This is Psalm 119. And by the way, the whole psalm is about the Word of God. The whole word. And, and I've I got to tell you this. The whole psalm is about the Word of God, and the whole psalm is about the author being in love with the God of Psalms. It's a real deep relationship. Here's what he says. If your law had not been my delight, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. How many times can you say that? How many times has God's Word kept you all out of trouble? Have an amen? It has me. It has me. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. That's a good verse to memorize. Let me say it again. Psalm 119, 92, 93. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. But I will never forget your precepts, for by then you have given me life. And then, one more from Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 44 through 47. Moses is telling the people the final commands and all of that. He basically sings a song or reads a song to them. And after he reads the song, here's what it says. This is Deuteronomy 32, 44. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and recited all the words of this song in the presence of the people. After Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart and graft all these words I am giving you as a warning today, so that you may command your children to carefully follow all the words of this law. Get it so you can pass it on. I know I'm messing these numbers up. Let, let me share. 1980 to, nine, or to 2000 is the millennial generation. 20 years. Those people are 33 years old down to 13 years old. My, my faith would be a millennialist as well would my Rebecca. Um, they're both millennials. And that's the generation that says 64% of them say that they're Christian. With a concept, one guy said, well, I'm an American. Yes, I'm a Christian. Okay, so it has no real meaning to Christianity. I think 6 or 7% are strong evangelical Christians. Okay? 6 or 7% are strong evangelical, genuine strong evangelical Christians. The bulk of this generation, I mean, they're strong in relationships. Relationships are important to them. They really do, outside of, outside of church, they want to be world changers. They want to make a difference in this world. But... Do you ponder the question, why so many of them have walked away from God? And a, I mean, a big chunk of them have. Why, and, and, and why so many of them have nothing to do with, I can't think of a better word, organized religion? You know, could it be that those moms and dads, my generation, we were so plastic that they said, whatever mom and dad had, I don't want that? I mean, is it possible? Yeah, it is. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, it is. And, and Moses says, listen, you know, put these things in your heart so you can share them with your children so they will carefully follow all the words of this law. And they got the part. See, guys, listen. Am I rambling? Listen. They got the thou shalt not commit adultery part. Some of them went through their dad or mom committing an affair and they know the scars. They got that part down. But when they see Christians hating Christians... Or Christians hating other people. And when they see bitterness and anger and backstabbing, 
they go, I get the thou shalt not part, but what's up with this relationship thing? The thing that was so strong with Jesus were weakest in. How crazy. And again, if we're going to turn that around, we've got to be the Christ of the Gospels. We've got to be that. We've got to be. Well, here you go. Here's the nugget I want to share with you. Let me back up a little bit. Command your children to carefully follow all the words of this law. Are you ready? For they are not meaningless. They are not meaningless words to you. But they are your life. And by them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. I want to close with this. These are not meaningless words. These words are life. David David leads in a song, I'm desperate for you. You are the air that I breathe. This, brothers and sisters, is our life. It's our life. And my challenge tonight, as mature believers, the Sunday night crowd, is to become deeper in the Word of God than you've ever begun before. To move beyond even pulling out your journey or your stand firm or your daily bread. Go beyond that. And that's good. Keep doing that. But go beyond that and delve into the, the Word of God. Ingest it so it becomes a part of you so it can change your world lens and you can pass that on to your children so they adopt that world lens. Let's pray together. Father, the challenge of your word is great. And I thank you for it. You put a really good group of people together. I'm looking at faces I see tonight. And I'm thankful, Father, for every person who's here. I just, I just feel like they've come expecting you to do something. And I'm grateful for that. And I believe that's exactly what you are doing tonight. Father, in this room, would you raise disciples, Christ followers, who are willing to go one step deeper, not just in knowledge, not just a deeper grasp of the Word of God, but a deeper application and practice of the Word of God. Father, rise, raise up warriors tonight as we are on the battlefield, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the forces of evil. God, I do wish, like the young man who could see the fiery chariots on the hillside when Elijah was surrounded, that we could just see how much you are for us and how great the forces are that reinforce us and stand by us. May we be encouraged to be your people, madly in love with you and madly in love with your word as it's lived out. And Father, may revival sweep through our church, through our families, through our community, and yes, God, even through our nation. We believe that with you, all things are possible. Father, raise up leaders like Jenny's going to read about in China. Raise up leaders like she's going to read about in the old Soviet bloc nations. Raise up leaders like we see when we go to Africa. Those willing to suffer and to die for the cause of Christ. Raise us up, God. Raise up an army. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. 
Amen.